left, right. Yo, thank you for tuning in again. Welcome to our new episode. This year, we're talking about how dangerous 2020 is. Uh, a year where hugging someone can kill them. And that is the reality of this year. Um, so either way, if you haven't subscribed, please do so now. Make sure you give us a thumbs up because that really, really helps us, especially if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening, don't forget to rate us five stars and share with your friends. All right, guys, look forward to seeing you on the other side. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. Cheers. 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 Um, <clears throat> all right. Are you ready, James? Yeah, let's do it. All right, cool. Um, welcome to episode 59 of Sip Talk. Today, we just want to acknowledge that hugs kill. And if you're a hugger, you're a murderer, and there is no difference, all right? Um, we played around with the title of this episode, Hugs Kill, or... Drugs, uh, I, I, drugs Not Hugs. I like Drugs Not Hugs. Uh, just not sure what direction we want to go in with this one. But either way, I feel like we got kind of this slippery slope. I just... I realize that we are well beyond like where I'm kind of comfortable with society being. Um, I heard somebody talking this week about how during the AIDS ep epidemic, you know, you weren't just painting general, general people who had sex as murderers. Um, and, and, you know, there might've been some of that, but you know, the fact that like, you know, you get in an elevator and somebody freaks out on you calling you a murderer uh, and just people kind of taking things out of context and a bit too far and I just think everything needs to be evaluated in context. Um, but this is what I realized just, and I think it was last year maybe, but <clears throat> you know the song Baby It's Cold Outside? Yeah. You know, there's a real push right now painting this as a song about coercion and rape. Well, there are some creepy lines in the song. Sure, fair enough. <sighs> I've heard two interpretations of it. One is that this is a song about a guy trying to get a girl drunk and take advantage of her. Another is that you have to take into account the era in which the song was written, which 40s? Maybe. 40s or 50s is my guess. Um, okay, but, so but, in the but, 40s or 50s... Go ahead. Sure. Yeah, like, in the 40s or 50s, there was a really strong no negative social stig stigma for a woman sleeping with a man outside of marriage. Way, way stronger than it, than anybody who's listened to this podcast has experienced. Well, by any 60, account, 70 years ago. By any account, it was wrong. Yeah. And so this is one of those ones where the other interpretation I've heard is that this song is really kind of about the dance the, the verbal dance back and forth between these two people where he really, where she actually wants to stay, but she's kind of having to navigate through the, the social maze of 1940s stigmas <clears throat> to sure. be able to convince herself that it's okay for her to stay. So I, I can't tell you which one's right. One of them is 
this guy's being rapey. The other one is she actually wants to stay and the song's written in that context of 1940s America. All right. One, one, one second, because we were running a little late. I didn't get enough time to prepare. Alexa, turn the desk light on. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm in the dark over here. Um, <clears throat> sure, but I don't even think, even he, if he was being rapey, I don't think he took it. 1944. I don't think he took it even in today's context, that far. And that's, you know, that's where, you know, just the fact that we're having this conversation, whereas this is an innocent song for the last 70 years, the last 74, 75, five, 76. Well, yeah, but I don't know when, when we started to really turn this Me Too movement to just- 2009. To just pointing fingers and, but, but when it hit this song, 2009 is when the the lyrics started to really get examined. People are like, hey, maybe this song isn't okay. But again, when you take into context, back then, when it was wrong, it was effectively wrong for a woman to say yes in, in any means. And almost society had painted the fact that women should pretty much resist. And it's, it's almost like in the... Uh, let me think of different cultures, like the Indian type culture where you're kind of arranged wedding type situation, um, bachelor pad, you know, if you're, if you're a 28 or 30 year old guy and you don't live at home now, that's expected. But if you're a 28 year old guy who wasn't married back then, you know, you lived alone and it was a thing. You were a bachelor, uh, it was really a thing. And women didn't really live alone. At, at that point in time. Um, it was just a different society. It was a, a completely different time. <clears throat> I don't know where I'm going with this. I, you know, I just, the, the, this coronavirus that's now sweeping the Midwest. Uh, it's everywhere, dude, but Midwest and California is getting hit hard. California is getting hit hard and they did everything just like New York city. New York city did everything. And that was a, uh, the governor that pulled this and New York got hit hard and they're still getting hit hard. And then you got Florida that did nothing. And, <laughs> and it wasn't that different in Florida. <laughs> it wasn't that different in Florida. What? What's your, I'm just laughing. Florida did nothing, which is correct. Yeah, but they didn't, they didn't. And, and what's different about California or New York than Florida population density. Florida? Um, yeah, where Florida really only has like one and a half cities that have really high population density. Okay, and I'm sure I'm sure those cities got hit hard, but just like anywhere else, in anywhere else, um, you know. But now, but basically, this week we're being faced with the governor of New York saying that New York City restaurants, if we don't see a downtick by Friday, that's not going to happen restaurants who are at 25% capacity will go to 0% indoor capacity. Now it's 28 degrees outside right now. No one's eating outside. No, I, the last time I ate outside was months ago. And I was, I was literally shivering as I tried to eat the food and was just like, this isn't, this isn't enjoyable. And, uh, you know, now I feel, and I just look at all the restaurants going out of business and that's my, that's, you can order restaurants to close, but then these restaurants are still expected to pay rent. Mm -hmm. And 
I think they should pay. I think the land, I don't think they should pay rent, but I think the landlord is due his rent. So you have to do something for the landlord on the, on the back end. You have to do something for the people you're forcing to shut down. I just, I can't imagine that the economy is going to come back strong anytime soon. And there will be sectors that do. There's sectors that are already outperforming. But, but think about like the lost tourism aspect. I pass all these hotels now that are shut down. Mm-hmm. Hotels in New York City were never, it would never be a thing that they would ever have to shut down. They build more hotels a year in New York City probably than they do anywhere else in the world. Charleston and, would like a word. And New York City it is a very confined small space. So, uh, <sighs> yeah, if you're going to force people to close their businesses for public health reasons, then you've got to do something to help them out because there's a certain level of fixed costs to practically any business, um, some more than others. But if you're a restaurant, your biggest fixed costs are going to be rent, utilities, and labor. Not in that order. It's going to be labor, rent, utilities in that order. Um, now you can cut your labor back hard, but you're still going to need to keep a couple people on staff because you're going to need to probably keep your head chef and probably a sous chef. So you, and you're going to need to keep them on salary. So you still have costs there and then rent and you still, if you're occupying the space, there's some minimum level of utilities that you need to keep the heat on. Well, it's probably the same level of utility that you're always running, you know? No, your utilities while you're running are way higher. In what sense? What's different? Your lights are still on, same number of lights. Your heat's still on, same amount of heat. You're you know still- how much electricity and gas a, ki- a kitchen goes through? Yeah, but your, your stove is on the whole time. Your stove's have it on the whole time. Your ovens are if you, on. If, if you're not operating at all, you're not running well, your ovens or your stoves or anything. Well, I'm, I'm talking about going from, from doing takeout meals or 25% capacity or anything to – we're shut down. We're not taking orders right now. We're going to ride this one out. You still got rent. You still have to keep a yeah. couple people on staff for that. For when you reopen, you don't want to have to hire somebody new and train them on everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and if you are shutting down, like you losing all this food, you got to, you know, yeah. all your um, when my, when, when my roommate got let go from home team barbecue back in March or April, um, they cleared out pretty much all of their food inventory. And I'm just waiting for some bars to close so I can snag some bottles, man. Yeah, that that's you, you only clear perishables. <laughs> but but yeah, I can I can imagine just it's 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 just silly what the government's doing that they're basically turning their back on so many of the small business owners and the middle class. And well, I feel like state governments in varying degrees want to help but state governments don't have the money state governments are just as screwed as small businesses right now because their revenue comes largely from the businesses operating with the state and people paying income taxes if mm-hmm. income's down if business activity is down then the only real way that the state makes money is through property tax Oh yeah. And sales tax. But if sales are down because people aren't buying anything anymore. So really you just have property tax, but that's mostly at the local level to fund like schools and stuff like that. At the Mm -hmm. state level, most of state government is funded by income tax 
and to a lesser degree sales tax and so states would probably be very willing to help small businesses out but state budgets are just toast and so where does the money have to come from to help the states the federal government and we can see exactly how much money the federal government has given out in the last couple months I'm, I'm, I'm right there as a, as a recipient, getting a backhanded loan um, that will ultimately need to be paid off. And I don't know at this rate, sure, we have a gazillion years to pay it off. But if we run out of money and shut down, I might as well just, you know, I get another mortgage. So Yeah, you've got a mortgage for something that has no value. It, it, well, that's exactly the case. And that's, that's one of my concerns. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if in the next two or three years, some of those EIDL loans um, will start getting some kind of partial forgiveness treatment for certain businesses. I don't know what, the, I, I can't tell you, this is just, this is pure supposition. I, there, there's no legislative backing to this, but there's going to be a lot of businesses that took out EIDL loans to help them through this year. And the PPP money has run out for everybody. And if your business hasn't been able to recover by now and you've got this EIDL loan and you fold or whatever, the business might be like, yeah, I, I'm never going to be able to pay this back. So. Yeah. yeah well, that's, that's, that's where we stand, especially, I'm, you know, in being in Manhattan, you see all these businesses that are just completely shut down business on, on my block that are just going out of business um, in my building that are going out of business. And uh, it's just, it's just wild to walk down the street and there's just people doing drugs, uh, you know, and people asleep and people taking a shit on the sidewalk and, uh, you know, just bloody beat up people. Like, and I, and I don't mean like, I'm not, <clears throat> one, I'm not exaggerating. And two, I don't mean here and there. I mean, every day, all day long, uh, and it's getting worse. The people that are on the streets are getting in worse condition. It sounds like you got out at the right time. Well, that's, and that's why I'm happy to have, have left Manhattan because that's not what I want to be doing right now. Um, you know, I got all the space now. Uh, you know, the issue is the long commute. Um, but, but at least I can go back to Manhattan pretty quickly. And but how much longer is it really than your commute from where you were? Uh, it's 40 to 50 minutes door to door now. Uh, my best time up by bicycle was just about eight minutes. Um, uh, but usually 15 to minutes to half hour. So it's, not, so it's about double. It's, it's not a crazy difference. Um, I want to hit some comments real quick and then I want to get into the meat and potatoes. Um, really just about total murder here. Um, let's see. I personally know business owners that have had their loans forgiven. Well, they don't have That's the EIDL. Yeah, it's, it's uh, it may be the initial, there's a portion of the EIDL that went out and some of the PPP, if it's used for payroll. Uh, um, 60% payroll, the remaining 40% can be used for things like rent and utilities. Um, I, I speak of this as someone who's filled out multiple PPP loan applications for people and the, and the resulting forgiveness. So the PPP is relatively easy to get forgiven if you, as long as you played by the rules and most of the businesses did. The EIDL loan, if you got the EIDL loan only but not the PPP, then a portion of 
the EIDL loan up front did not have to be repaid up to $10,000. But if you got the PPP, then 100% of the EIDL loan is a loan that you're going to have to pay back. And as, as things stand right now, an EIDL loan, there is no such thing as forgiveness for those. Yeah. With the exception of the advanced portion that I talked about separate from the PPP. All right, let me go back to the comments here. Reopening a restaurant is like opening a new. Uh, James hit that one on the head. Businesses fortunately adjust. I think you're talking about certain businesses flourishing. Uh, we're talking about walk-in freezer in some of these restaurants. We chlorinate the water in Florida as ordered by the governor, and we know that it cures COVID. Okay. Uh, okay. I'm pretty sure most municipalities chlorinate their water. Yeah. Uh, um, stop crying, Justin. You're in the country now. Cook your food. Actually, I had a conversation tonight about how um, literally making all this food and just food costs being next to nothing being out here in the country. Just like I told you, I have this unlimited supply of beer. Like I just, I went like twice to the beer store. It's a special beer store. And you just get a ton of beer and I got a pickup truck. So you just throw it in the back. It's great. Um, Brooke. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially with restaurants or whatever. Yeah. If you, if you shut down entirely or whatever, and all you keep on is like your head chef and sous chef or whatever, then whoever said that it's like a, a brand new opening is completely correct because you're going to have pretty much all new front of house staff yeah. and, and, and line cooks or whatever. Maybe you keep a single bartender. Uh, well, but people also connect with the staff. And for me, a lot of the places that are regular, the staff is a big part of, there's a, uh, one of my, it was formerly my favorite restaurant in Manhattan and they changed ownership and all the staff quit and they, they basically renewed all the staff. And I went in and it literally felt like it lost the warmth. Um, and absolutely wild because it was a place I went to on a pretty regular basis. I knew the people that were there. Um, you know, there were times I was there every weekend for you know, a couple of months straight and went back in and it did not feel at all the same. The menu had changed up a little, but was pretty very similar, but it just kind of lost that environment. Um, so I don't know. This is, this is just more of my complaints on, uh, I, I, so let me talk about whole, like the, the differential recovery. So I think I've talked about this on the cast before the idea of a K shaped recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we're seeing the case for the K-shaped recovery going stronger than ever. And I'll talk about one of the clients that we have. So last week at work, uh, we had an office-wide meeting. And one of the things that we did was we had a panel of three of our clients that kind of did a Q&A with us. Um, and so that's an interesting bottle opener. I don't know where the bottle opener is. I just moved. <laughs> um and so one of our clients runs a like plumbing and um, kitchen supply company. So if you want to get like a new sink or a new bathtub or redo your bathtub or like new kitchen appliances, those kind of things, mm-hmm. um, he's one of the stores that you go to. So a lot like if you're a plumber, that's a lot of times where it, a lot of plumbers go there to buy the stuff that they need to do a job. But remodeling yeah. and everything like that. And he said that. Well, I imagine, I imagine his business is doing very well. Right now, he said he's doing phenomenal. He says his biggest issue right now is being able to get inventory. That would make sense. 
because of just supply chain issues. But the demand, he said that you've got all these people that have been stuck at home that they might have gone on a vacation or whatever. And now they've got, if they did well, if they can work from home and still make their same amount of income, but their expenses are way lower because they're not commuting, they're not going on vacation, they're not going out, they're not spending money, and they're stuck in their home more, they say, mm -hmm. oh, honey, we might as well make our place nicer. So you've got all these people that are like, you know what, this is the time to renovate our bathroom, to redo our kitchen or whatever. And so he's been killing it. And then you can look at companies like we've got another client that does tours, um, like eco tours. So one of their big things is kayak tours, stand up paddle tours of the marshes and, and the bay and stuff like that. Uh, the, wow. uh, the harbor. All right. Um, That's got to be way down because there's no tours. Right. Um, some of our, like at one point, one of my restaurants that I did, their top line revenue, this is before expenses went down like 85%. I, I, another one of my clients is a um, transportation company. So they do just your normal taxi service, but they also do tours where like they'll have a party bus and you get like 10 or 15 of your friends and you go and hit like five or six different breweries. And you know, you pay like 120 bucks and then like you go to four or five different breweries, get tasting tours and like you have a tour guide in there. So yeah. he was doing really well at, at the peak of the coronavirus, his year over year months, we're down 95%. That's before expenses. So if you made $100,000 in April, he's down to making $5,000 $5, in April. Yeah, and what do you think you're, you adjust your expenses to when you're making 95000 You well, adjust your expenses to whatever, 60000 a month or something like that, and you're still making forty grand. And then the next year, you're struggling to cut back at that 60000 a month. Well, and there's a difference between expense and cash flow. So for him, he had a big fleet of vehicles you know, five or six tour buses, a whole bunch of SUVs, a whole bunch of nice cars, and all those are financed. Yeah. So every single month, he's got a financial obligation to pay the banks for these vehicles that he purchased. So uh -huh. that's not an expense, but it's still a cash flow item. So yeah. he had probably, I think about $12,000 a month walking out the door. No, more than that. Um, probably like twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars a month walking out the door in loan payments. So if you're making a hundred thousand dollars in revenue a month, and the twenty to twenty-five is it's a lot, but like your other expenses are relatively low because all you really have to do is pay for like fuel costs, and most of your drivers, most of their pay comes from tips and gratuities and stuff. Mm -hmm. So his his wages were relatively low, and his office rent was relatively low. So he was able to keep his overhead re relatively low with the exception of the vehicles. But now even like his overhead stays the same. He was able to get rid of, he went down from 35 employees to like six. Yeah. And the six, and they're not, I guarantee he's still losing money. He, yeah. So, when he, even when he downsided to six, he was still losing money. He yeah. went from making like cash flow, making like 220 to 250 a year down to this year probably losing about 70. I believe it. I believe it. Um, what I want to do real quick is just see if anybody who's watching is a business owner, what business they're in, and how their business is looking. If you guys are live watching right now and you're a business owner, um, and I mean less more so of an independent contractor and somebody who has employees or has, uh, you know, even a, a, something with a decent amount of expenses because that's, 
that's what I want to know about. And I want to know what businesses are, are flourishing um, and which ones are, are dying. And I would say anything that's based probably on tourism or anything where people are close has got to be bad. Hotels are still hurting. I mean, there's so many hotels within a block of my office that are shut down. Um, there's one across the street from my office, literally across the street, and there's one next door. And the one across the street is shut down. And the one next door is housing the military. And I, you know, I can only imagine what rate the military is getting. It's, it's probably a very good rate compared to, uh, it's a nice hotel. It's a Renaissance hotel. Um, I don't know how that, uh, stacks up, but, uh, you know, in terms of hotels, but it was a nice hotel. I got a tour of it a couple of times. Uh, there's a huge like penthouse suite in the, one of the top floors. Uh, and the guy told me they don't, they don't even make it available to the public. They, and I said, well, you know, we'll, you know, if we wanted to rent this for like an event or something, what would it cost? And he goes, no, you can't rent it. Uh, there's no cost. We just give it away to celebrities <laughs> and, and we keep it open in the meantime. I was like, Oh shit. And it was a nice place. It was a really um, nice uh, place. But yeah, so again, it's if we're going to have all these procedures in place to try and protect public health, fine. But you got you to gotta take care of the businesses that are bearing the sacrifice. And if we don't do that, then again, it's going to be, you're going to have this K-shaped recovery. We're going to have big winners and big losers. And I don't think it's fair to just be like all these people that were working just by virtue of the industry that they chose, either winning or losing. I happen to get it right. I'm in accounting. We're doing great. But I got lots of friends that work in food and Bev. One of my buddies was unemployed for like three and a half months. And now he's working at a coffee shop and he's doing okay. But no, there's a difference between being a bartender and raking in hundreds of dollars in tips and being a coffee server where you're lucky if somebody tips you 23 cents you know, because that's the change you hand back to them after your three dollar cup of coffee. Oh, well, he's the general manager of the place now. He he oh. moved up quick. Um, he, he's sharp, but it's still he probably makes as the general manager of this coffee shop. He probably makes about thirty thousand. Is that a livable wage in two thousand twenty? Barely. I mean, I've been losing money. You know. Well, <laughs> and that's not I can tell you, in New York City, it wouldn't be in Charleston. 50, making thirty. 30000 a year, if you've got a roommate, it's a livable wage, but it's not comfortable by any stretch. I've been getting all these applications. People, We get a lot of applications where people are claiming that their unemployment as income, and no landlord is going to accept unemployment as income. No. Uh, and then a lot of people, like I get applications all the time, they give me their bank statements, and the bank statements don't show enough money to move in. And, you know, I turn back and say, why do you think we asked for the bank statements? Well, I, you know, I guess to a degree we want to verify the, the funds incoming. But the people that don't have the funds that first month and security deposit to move in, like um, I had somebody recently who, I mean, we might have talked about this before, I don't remember. His income was $22,000 a year and the apartment was nineteen ninety five, which is roughly twenty four grand a year. Yeah. If you're rounding, yeah, <laughs> but, you know, but the apartment costs more than you make a year. Um, and he's like, well, you know, I, I, I can't get a co-signer, but like, I can, I can promise I'll pay it. It's not how no, this- you don't even, you don't make enough money to cover <laughs> rent. Oh man. But it's, you know, it's been, a, it's been a tough, it's been a tough, uh, 
pool of people trying to get apartments and people who are making money are looking for the stupidest deal or they lowball everything so, so much because they think they have this, this huge, huge upper hand because they are qualified. And that's, you know, that's not exactly the case. You know, some landlords are, are willing to take some deals, but not a stupid deal because they don't lock themselves into this contract. Uh, because then aren't they limited in terms of how much they can raise the rent? So they're set, establishing a floor and they can only build so much on it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's, I don't know, the, mar- the market's rough right now. Uh, same thing in the sales market. Who, you know, who wants to own when you can't, the, the cost of a mortgage, if somebody bought something six years ago and their mortgage costs them $3,500 a month, um, you know, they're lucky if they're going to get $2,400 a month in rent on that space. Whereas they could have gotten 3,500, you know, nine months ago or 10 months ago, because it's December. So, um, it's, it's yeah, just- well, and also the thing is, believe it or not, buying property right now well, actually you should you you know this better than i do but buying property right now home values for actually purchasing haven't really decreased mm-hmm. in new york city they have outside of outside of urban areas um the prices are very good because people aren't looking to live on top of each other right now people are looking for space yeah it's still a seller's market yeah it it, it definitely is and uh you know, people who are looking to buy, you know, really need to, you know, they need to make a move now. Interest rates are low. Um, and I, I, what do you think? You think interest rates are going to stay like this for a while? Because I think they have to come up. They do, but it's going to, they're going to stay this low for probably at least the new, next two years. You think that long? At least. Um, because the, the Fed has basically signaled that they're not going to be raising rates until like 2022. So that's two years. Um, And pretty much all other interest rates are going to be some adjustment to the Fed rate. The Fed rate is kind of the the floor upon which everything builds, just like with the, the rent in New York City, where because the Fed rate is what banks can borrow from the Fed to to fund their operations. And so that's setting the cost of capital for the lenders. And so the lenders are going to have some kind of profit margin that they need to build in on top of their cost of capital. And so whether that's going to be a fixed percentage above. So if the Fed rate is one and they say we need to do three and a half percent above Fed. So that would mean that their rates would be four and a half or it's a multiple of the Fed where they say we do two and a half times the Fed rate. But whether it's a multiple or it's just a fixed increment above Fed, the Fed rate's going to be setting all other interest rates in the market because yeah. that's how everybody gets their money. Yeah. Um, and so if the Fed's not going to be raising their rates anytime soon, which they've indicated they're not. Then- I, think, I think if you're, the point that I was making though is that if you're in a position to buy now, you should do so. Um, and I, I, I get it. We're talking the prices haven't, haven't dropped the price has been pretty stable in certain markets going up. But uh, I think they're going to keep going up. Um, the, the only other thing I was thinking of recently is just the number of people in my peer group who property ownership is 
very unattainable for. Um, a lot of people. And Up until recently, it was unattainable for me. Yeah, but but I think you know I think you're in a good position. But not everybody is like that. A lot of people don't have savings. Uh, a lot of people don't have these stable jobs. And I wonder if the stable job thing is because everybody now doesn't double down on one position that they, you know, they'll stay someplace for six months and stay another place for 14 months. You know, if they're at one place for two years, that's like a long-term, that's a long-term gig. Um, oh, there's a variety of reasons. Some, sometimes people move because they think that they can do better. And other times you're trying to find a place that's the right fit for you. True, but no, how, what is the right place for you where you go to a place that's owned by somebody else, they write your check, and they tell you what to do in exchange for it? So, <clears throat> in my view, like, the, the right place for you is where, like, you can get along with your boss. You don't have to love your boss. You just have to feel like they respect you and you can respect them. And the work is manageable and something that you don't hate. You don't have to love it. You just have to not hate the work. and the demands are not such that like that you can still have a work-life balance where you don't feel like you're constantly just your job. Um, and so, and, and it can also be your coworkers. Do you get along with your coworkers? That goes a long way. So you could have an office that like you enjoy the work or whatever, but if your coworkers are miserable, you're probably not going to stick around. Yeah, but I can't think, and maybe it's just my, what I'm kind of exposed to, but I can't think of any industries where, you have the same, co this, you know, the same group of coworkers for three years or longer. At my office, it's like that. How long have you been there? I've been there, this is two and a half years. Okay, and well, of the, like, probably 70% of the office is the same from when I started as an intern in May of 2018. And we've, We've really only had, we've had people get let go for performance issues. Um, but in terms of people leaving the firm for kind of their, to either seek a better opportunity or they just weren't happy at the firm. In my time, I've really only seen like two or three people in three years leave because they wanted to do something else. How many people total are in the firm? We have approximately 25 employees. Okay. All right. So we've probably in my time there, we've probably cycled through eight or 10 people. That's pretty low turnover. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, that's not a whole lot, but, uh, I'm not counting the interns because what like most interns, of our interns, yeah, interns are temporary position anyway. So yeah, sometimes we'll hire from interns. That's how I got the job. And we've got one other guy that was an intern for like six or eight months that got hired on full time and he's good. Hmm. But so like, so we'll definitely source some of our talent from interns, but we'll also let just ask, hire. Let me ask this. Why, what, what would be the reason somebody would want to stay with a job for five years or 12 years or 20 years? Somebody just, Yvette just said, I've been working the same place for 21 years, pretty stable. Um, but, you know, why is somebody staying with a job for what's, I don't think we have the benefit now of, of staying with a job for 10 or 20 years. So, well, yeah, we're, it's not the 1950s and 1960s anymore where you're just a company man. But um, 
But back then, property ownership, you know, was high in the 20s. Oh, yeah, but that's also because you can look at, um, like, multiples of income in terms of how much a house costs. But um, the reason why people stay, like, is one – like in my business or whatever, you, you develop relationships with clients and there's clients that you want to just, that you enjoy working with. Um, you develop relationships with your coworkers and in my, in my job, you de- develop relationships with the partners where the partners are there for you. And so if you feel like you're being compensated fairly and you're being treated fairly and you enjoy the clients or you enjoy the work or at least don't hate it, then like, the way I look at it is, at least in my role, the world of accounting is largely the same wherever you go in terms of what kind of work you're going to be doing. If you're working tax, federal and, federal and state income tax returns are going to be the same regardless of what office you're in. You might be using different software, but tax is tax. Audit is the same thing, and bookkeeping is the same thing. So the work's not going to really change all that much from one office to another. If I were to quit my job and go work in Kansas or whatever, I'd be doing basically the same thing. I'd just be in Kansas. Yeah. Um, so what's, so what, what makes a good office versus a bad office? It's the quality of your coworkers, how well you're treated, the expectations as to how much work you actually have to do. Do they want me in the office for 35 or 40 hours or am I working 60 to 70 hours? And are the clients good? Do the, do your bosses support you? If a client gets pissy or something, Will your boss actually like defend you and say, hey, so-and-so did the right thing. You need to treat them with respect or are they going to take the client side even when the client's wrong? And so if you can look and say, if I've got a good office environment and the work is basically the same regardless of what office I'm in, then I might as well stay in the office environment that I know and I'm familiar with and and they're paying me well enough. I'm not seeing, what I'm saying is I'm not seeing that happen a lot and that's, you know, and I wonder if there's correlation with that. And and well, you have some people that are lucky, like me, that have that have have that. And the other people that are still trying to find that are the ones that stay in a role six to nine months and then move on to something else. Also, and they'll either repeat that process or eventually find a place that they like. But you you know you mentioned people not doing, uh, you know, it's people doing twenty to thirty hours a week, whatever the low end numbers you were saying, and then people doing fifty to sixty or more hours a week. But I don't, even in my industry, you know, I have people telling me they work 60 hours a week, but I look at them and they're in the office for 39 hours a week and they're working for 20 of those hours. Um, You know, I don't see a certain level of hard work these days. Um, I don't know. I just, I think it's, I think that's an aspect that's frustrating as well because you see everything, you know, with all the social media exposure and stuff that we have now, you're not exposed to, you know, people, your peers working hard. You're exposed to their vacations and their time off. Um, and you also, social media is a distraction in itself. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just going to spit on here with, with what reasons might be why people aren't um, as successful relatively to how they were 25 years ago or 60 years ago. Obviously, the prices houses have grown price of education has grown a lot student loan debt and the price of education which i think is i never really looked at college as something i was ever interested in just because of the cost you know just like to me like a rolls royce like 
I'm sure it's a great car, but like I have zero interest in it. Like, why would I want to drop that much money? It's like not even, it doesn't even enter the realm of something I'm interested in. So, you know, uh, but for, for a lot of industries, having a bachelor's degree is the bare minimum. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, industries having a graduate degree is the bare minimum. I don't, but yeah, what I'm saying is I don't think you need to, uh, you know, drop 120 grand on it or more. You know, I see people's credit reports with how much they own student loans, especially for some of these New York city schools. And it's an insane amount of money. And you got some people that are coming out with a four year degree and a quarter mil in debt. Yeah. Uh, hoping, hoping to make 80 grand a year, which, you know, if they're going to hop around jobs for the next eight or nine or 11 years, you know, they're not going to hit 80 grand. Um, you know, it, it, they're always starting these new jobs. Uh, I don't know. Let's see. I don't know. And then obviously now, you know, business ownership, depending on the, you know, I, I think, I think we're kind of getting, strangled here in this middle class even the upper middle class and the lower middle class i think uh i think they're kind of getting washed away um yeah you can make an argument right now huh what are you looking up right now i was just calculating interest on two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year well what a school what a school interest rate what a student loan interest rates look like typically five to six percent Probably a little lower now. They used to be in like the six to eight percent range. So I went with six percent higher than the cost of owning a home. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, but it actually makes sense because the thing is, the reason why you can have a lower interest rate on a mortgage is because the asset is securitized in the loan, and the asset, unless you really trash the home, the asset's not going to really go down in value. So if the bank has to foreclose on the home, they're not really going to be taking much of a loss. In fact, they might even end up having a gain, if depending on 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 circumstances. So you can, you can have a lower interest rate on a mortgage because the asset is less risky. So a less risky asset is going to command a lower interest rate, which is why a boat loan is going to cost a lot less than a car loan because like boats lose value much quicker and also boats aren't really necessary. Um, and so student loan, what's the asset that is backing the student loan? The person themselves? I'm yeah. Guessing. yeah. Yeah, that's, that's right. So you can look and say, well, they've got this $250,000 education, but they actually have to actually perform and they have to make, they have to make money to pay that back. Whereas the home doesn't need to do anything. The home can just sit there and it'll still be worth that much money. But a person that just invested $250,000 in themselves, they still have to go out and do stuff. And so if you've got, if you've got a four-year degree from Yale in gender studies and art history and you're $250,000 in debt, it's going to be really hard for you to be able to make that money back just, that degree. But no, what you, what you just said is key. It's just people have to – it's people actually doing. And that's where – that's an evaporating – that's an evaporating thing. People, but there's also the, there's also the question of wages. So, well, um, hang on, the, one second though. I just want to talk about the people actually doing thing, and that's where I think that's an because I, I I see so many people every day, and I see people not doing 
shit. And I call them on it and, and then they, they, but they truly believe that they're doing something. They posted a picture of themselves doing something this morning on Instagram and that means they did it. But they actually did absolutely nothing. And, and you know, I think, I think it's, the, it's the doing thing yeah, I, I, there was a stretch in the summertime where I was waking up at six o'clock in the morning, like 545, six o'clock in the morning to work on building a web page. And I was going to sleep at midnight or whenever my brain wouldn't function anymore uh, to actually, you know, do the coding and shit to build the web page. Um, not that I did much coding, but, um, and I was posting pictures of my cup of coffee in the morning at six, six o'clock in the morning. And people believed that I was waking up at six o'clock in the morning. Um, and that's something that I do, but like, and the people are like, oh, you know, I know you're, you, you know, you're, you're an early riser. I'm like, bro, no, I'm not an early riser. Like that's, I get, that was the impression you were under from, from looking at social media, but like, I am never up at six o'clock in the morning. I might be up at seven o'clock in the morning, but I'm not up at five forty-five, six o'clock in the morning. That was just social media. I was just posting a picture because I was up, you know, start conversation, but you know, I don't, I'm not going to hide behind the fact that I put 12 pictures of coffee up at before 6:30 in the morning and tell, go around telling people that I'm an early riser. You know, right. but so let me let me diatribe on, on on actually doing. Yeah, it. but I, so actually doing something. So about eight years ago, um, I was dating a girl who had just finished law school, and she had, and one of her friends who who had graduated with her um, had just taken the bar and passed, and she got her first job as a lawyer. And so they had both gone to Charleston School of Law. And I can't tell you the exact amount of tuition that they paid, but I think it was somewhere in the realm of like seventy dollars to $80,000 a year for law school. So close to a quarter million, let's call it between two hundred dollars and $250,000 of student loan debt just for law school, right? So her friend passes the bar on the first try. Um, I, I, I didn't get to know her very well, but she seemed pretty sharp. And Your friend? Yeah. Um, she gets her first job as a lawyer and take a guess what her salary is, her starting salary in her first job as a lawyer. I don't know what, what type of law. I'm just curious. I don't remember. I don't even know if it's relevant. I don't know. My guess is 40 grand. I think there's a lot of lawyers. That's, that's about right actually. So she's quarter million dollars in debt approximately. And she's making $40,000 a year. That you quarter million dollars a day. You probably would have made more money graduating with the same degree and, and, and becoming a lawyer 40 years ago, starting salary than you do now. It's, that's a, that's a guess, but, but, and not even a yeah. just for inflation. Uh, there's probably, probably be 60 grand starting out. The idea is that like with a, with a law degree that, the earning potential is really high, but you have to start out low, but compare that with like doctors. So they have a little bit more education requirement because so law school and med school are both three years, but med school is harder to get into, I think. And it's more demanding than law school. I think most people would agree. And then you have to do the residency afterwards, which is really terrible. Um, but once you get through that, once you're a doctor, you start making a lot of money immediately. You don't have to work your way up. That was kind of what you did in school. But as a first-year doctor versus a first-year lawyer, unless you're really lucky and you did, and you happen to get like a really good internship or you found like a good firm to start off with as a lawyer, you're probably going to be making 
forty to sixty thousand dollars a year. Whereas if you're a first year doctor, you're probably making one twenty five to three hundred. I would shoot a little lower, but and also depending on the market. And I want to I want to touch on that also because real estate agents can make those doctor numbers in their first year. And all they have to do is take a two week course to get the real estate license. Um, and it's not unheard of. I've seen it happen before. Uh, but I think what people lose with the real estate license is they just see that high number and they don't realize that there is an immense amount of work that it takes to become a doctor. There's an immense amount of work that it takes to become an attorney. Um, you have to put all that work. You can't just get the real estate license and it's the same as, you know, passing the bar. It doesn't, it doesn't come with, you have to put in the work after you get. Yeah. So like doctors and lawyers, they front load their work. Yeah. And, and, and that's the exact opposite of how it works for real estate agents, but they don't think that they think because the potential earnings are there in year one and year two, that they just get the license and it's going to happen. And that they, you know, they can sit back for the ride and they don't have to pedal. Yeah, well, it's also different because if you're a real estate agent, you're going to have to do a lot of your own client generation. You're going to have to do a lot of the selling and stuff like that. Whereas if you're a doctor or whatever, if you just get a job with a hospital, the patients come to you and you just need to do doctor things. Yeah. And if you're a lawyer, unless you're starting off your own practice right out of the rip, which most people don't, then you're going to get a job at another firm and you're not really going to be in the role of, producing new clients or whatever you're just going to have clients coming in and you're going to have to do whatever their cases demand whatever filings or i don't really know what lawyers yeah. do <laughs> uh it's definitely it's definitely tedious work i i actually would think being a lawyer is more tedious than being a doctor most lawyers would tell you the same yeah and and i think that being a doctor is probably more interesting than being a lawyer. Oh, they're two completely different fields. I think, I think, you know, the idea of being a lawyer and like arguing theory um, sounds great, but this is, like you know, how many lawyers actually go in and argue in court on the regular? Yeah, very few, very few. And, and, and most lawyering is going through documents, negotiate, like doing like depositions and then trying to get a settlement or just filling out a whole bunch of paperwork and creating documents. <laughs> it, it, it's so much paperwork. Cause I, I see a lot of legal documents in my work and I deal with lawyers occasionally mm -hmm. and very little of their work takes place in court where they're arguing in front of a judge, let alone a jury. Like they might be sent, they might submit paperwork to the judge, but they're not arguing with the other lawyer on the other side of the room. Yeah, with them yeah, or whatever. Exactly. It's just like, here's the paperwork and the judge will be like, all right, thanks. I'll get that. Yeah, and there's no, there's no jury. Uh, no, very rarely. I want to, I want to, I want to wrap this back around to, to, uh, what, were we, what was it? What was our topic here? Drugs, drugs not, not hugs. Drugs, not hugs. Um, just because that's, you know, we're just, the, the coronavirus is exploding some 92 year old lady in England somewhere got a shot this morning and now the coronavirus is over. But yep, that's what I, that's, that's why I thought drugs, not hugs because like now the vaccine or whatever, like drugs, not hugs. No. Uh, well, I, I'm just so fucking frustrated with what's going on out there. The fact that like everything is getting shut down. The fact that places are just basically being restricted from making money. People can't do anything on their free will. 
and I, you know, I'm not that conservative, you know, that, that I think people should just be able to go out and drive without seatbelts, ride around on motorcycles without helmets, carry guns and, uh, and not wear masks inside stores. But I, you know, I think the onus needs to be on the people that feel they need to be protected, the higher risk people and less on the every man. And, um, um you know, if, if, we're gonna, if we're going to put the onus on the every man, then there needs to be some compensation coming their way. It can't just, it can't just be, we're shutting you down. You got to deal with it. Uh, you know, check back in, in with us 18 months from now, because oh, yeah. And by the I, way, the checks in the mail, it's the check. No, that we're talking about the check being in the mail, not even the mail. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I interviewed somebody today who told me he's going to be working from home likely right now. Well, they, they likely the earliest would be July, 2021. And I just, I think that's fucking insane that they've already decided that they're not going to show up for another seven months. And they probably decided that three months ago. So they said, you know, for nine months, we know we're going to, for nine additional months, we're going to be closed down. I've got um, some friends that work for Blackboard in Charleston. I know you know who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so since the coronavirus started, Blackboard has been 100% remote. The entire corporate headquarters has been remote. Which is wild. Which is wild. Um, which is absolutely wild. I, uh, I don't know, man. I don't like it. I think it's fucking silly. Um, well, let's, I, let's wrap it on that. We can maybe revisit this topic on Thursday or see if, I don't know, a giant meteor finally makes its appearance and, Dude, I'm like, that. even with our topic today, like I'm just so stuck. I, you know, I just, I, I'm not even sure, like, what to talk about today because I'm just like, I'm just so perplexed with like what's next. Um, yeah. What's next with the president? What's next in the rest of the world? Like just walking around the city the last, like, since last weekend, like I, every new block that I cross, I look up and down the block and I look at how many places are closed how many places are open and what places are open. And if there is anything open, it's like a big, it's a big, big chain, like a Dwayne Reed or a bank or a Starbucks. And even a lot of these places are closing the Starbucks. One of the Starbucks near my office, it, they don't open on the weekends. How does a Starbucks not open on a weekend? Because they probably only deal with people that are in for work. Sure. Yeah. But you know, there's, there's thousands and thousands, probably tens of thousands of people that cross and pass by there every weekend. Um, and so, but I'm just, I'm sure that they ran the numbers and saw that their numbers on the weekend weren't enough to support being open. I, I'm, I'm sure they did too. And I just, I, you know, to me, that's just joy. You know, it's just, it's just fucking wild. And the fact that the numbers aren't there to support that place being open on the weekend, how do you, you know, not like every, I can't get a coffee there on the weekend. So, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's frustrating for me. Uh, you know, obviously I want people to be safe out there, but in that way, I mean like, you know, don't drive drunk and like look out for deer and shit where you drive. You know, I don't mean like, yeah, you know, yell at somebody for not wearing a mask who's halfway down the block in front of you. Like that's. (laughs) So be reasonable. Yeah, but. (laughs) Just don't be dumb, bro. Just don't be fucking dumb. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, 
I'm really at my wit's end here, uh, you know, with this coronavirus shit. And, uh, and it's, I'm, I'm just sad. I'm just sad. A lot of people are frustrated. A lot of people are fatigued by all of this crap. And to, to your point of what's next? Well, that's a really tough question. And it's something that's bothering a lot of people. I wish I had an answer for you. I'm, I'm right there with you in terms of like, I have no idea what's going to happen in the next month, let alone six. Look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm good. You know, like I got my hands full. I got stuff going on left and right. I literally never stop. I'm, you know, once we wrap here, I'm going to go do some more work in the house. Um, you know, I check and send some emails that I'll be up to midnight just working. Um, but, but it's just like literally everything that's going on around me. Uh, it's just, it's just kind of like, Watching the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade with the CGI that looked like like one of those really shitty cartoons mm. that it's just like bad parents show their kids. Um, that was that's one more thing I just wanted to mention. Actually, we'll talk about that one second. But the parade was just really shitty. Where it, like they weren't even the the feed that I was watching wasn't even synced in with the audio, so they had this kind of goofy like holiday melody playing in the background. But then there'd be a marching band and we couldn't hear the music from the marching band. So you just have these people like thrusting their hips and hitting the drums and swinging their bodies around to just this goofy holiday melody. And it was just, it was just fucking lousy. Um, and given that, you know, the parade wasn't that great to begin with, but like, just like not even linking the audio. It's just the stupidest thing I ever saw. Um, uh, oh, last thing I wanted to share with you. So running a business um, I have to deal with stupid shit. You know, I, I constantly, and there's nobody else to do it right now because we just don't have the staff. And even when we have the staff, it's difficult for me to assign one person to be the chair pusher in her. Like, I can't say, hey, can you walk around the office eight times a day and push in chairs because people can't do it, right? Um, I can't say, hey, can you walk around the office and if there's like any water bottles that are half drinking on the, on the, desktops can you make sure they haven't been there for more than four hours and throw them away like that's not a job and i feel like it's too demeaning to ask somebody to do it so it's usually on me now i think that's a silly job for me to have with a bunch of adults very much is so i typically will walk into a room and 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 i'm pretty good at identifying who it was most of the people sit in the same place the same time and and for at least the last couple of years it's basically been like, bro, you, you know, my, my, my move is basically, you know, being audible so other people in the room can hear me and then in the future hold that person accountable. And I've been like, bro, like, are you really that much of a slob? Like pushing your chair or you left your pizza crust on your desk and then you went out for a showing and showed back three hours later. Like that's garbage. It was garbage the second you didn't finish it. It was garbage the second you stood up from the desk. Like don't be a scumbag. And I realized this morning I'm changing that approach because for years I've been doing it. It doesn't work. So what's so, the new approach? So my new approach is because people don't give a shit that I harass them. People don't give a shit that I harass them. They really don't. They, and, and like upstanding people, you would think upstanding people, like they leave a conference room and like, you know, like somebody leaves like their fucking gum wrapper on the table. I'm like, how would you walk at the table? There's nothing on the table. Table seven feet long, and there's one thing on the table, and it's obviously clearly garbage. So I realized this morning that I'm going to start attacking people's parents. 
And I, I, I watched it sink in when I walked in today and I was like, whoa, dude, you were raised like that? And I, like, I didn't tell anybody I was doing it. I just came in. And then I started talking about it afterwards because it worked. I was like, dude, you were raised like that? Like your parents like really would let you do this shit? Your parents must be huge pieces of shit if they didn't beat the shit out of you when you were a kid for doing shit like this. Are your yeah. parents really like that, just oblivious and just that careless about like shit they don't care about? Like, and, and like the kid was like instantly like flipped and he's like, you're attacking my parents? My parents are good people. Well, and, 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 and I'm like, well, but they're clear, you know, and, I, and as, I, as I kept laying in, I kind of was revealing what I was doing. And I was like, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm done attacking you. Like, I'm going straight to your parents right now. If your parents are really going to create something that does this, this says a lot about them. And you can relay my message. Uh, yeah, let me know how that experiment works. I would have gone in a different direction. I would have just instituted office-wide, an office-wide fine policy. But, but, where, the, but leading an office full of independent contractors, I could, the, the consequence could be you're fired. But then I would instantly have no people performing and no people making any money. No, that's why you don't fire them. You just well, say it's a $5 fine. It's a $5 fine. It's always only going to hold up until the first person says, no, I'm not paying you. And I'm like, well, you know, you're not fired. <laughs> so well, uh, yeah, it you, has to be psychological. It has to be psychological. And, and I well, like, well, you could just be like, you'd be like, no, I'm not paying you. would be like, well, it's coming out of your commission. Like the next deal you sign, I'm just taking $5 extra for the house. That, uh, I mean, that could work, but ultimately, I think that would, you know, would ultimately push people away, too. But I'm we'll not saying it's the best idea. It's, it's not it's a bad idea. idea it's not a bad I idea. I like it, but, but I want to see how this attacking of people's parents goes. I want to hear how that goes, too. Because I think, you know, today, the guy looked really, really, really offended. And I was like, it's bro, why, why, some why, people aren't going to care. I was like, bro, why are you getting mad? Like, you don't get mad when I, like, give you a hard time. This is like, you know, I'm like, this is my new technique. I'm, I'm, I'm going to double down on this and, and I'm just going to hurt people's feelings by calling their parents, uh, you know, trash. And, and Well, let's leave it on that. And then let me know the results on Thursday and we'll have, uh, we'll have something else to talk about in two don't, days. Don't, don't worry. I have a constant funnel of new opportunities to, to try this out on. So. All right. All right, dude. Uh, I'll catch up with you later. Yeah. Uh, I'll keep you posted on my plans for next week. All right, and for those of you that are watching us, cheers to you guys. You guys make this happen. Do not forget to subscribe, uh, to follow us, to like the videos. All of it we love. We're going to continue to getting. Uh, we'll continue getting some good links on there. Some affiliate programs. James is working on his bar supplies. Uh, we got the credit card. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, you get the free stocks. You get the free uh, free deposits into your accounts. You open up the accounts. Either way, there's loads of shit. You got to follow it. Uh, you got to follow us and you got to check out those links. So James, I'll see you next time. Everybody online, we'll catch you next time too. Cheers. All right. So that indeed does conclude our episode of drugs, not hugs or, uh, hugs can kill. Uh, either way, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you watching and listening. Make sure you subscribe, you share. Mm -hmm. Sharing is big. Sharing is how we are going to grow. So send this to somebody else. Tell them they got to subscribe. That'll be your Christmas gift, your holiday gift. To me, thank you very much. Thanks, guys. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.